Have you been looking for a podcast about agriculture? One that can increase your farm's profitability all without putting you to sleep. To sleep. Welcome to Field Trials Unleashed. We're experts in testing different farming practices and products. We test it and then report back the real skinny. This is Field Trials Unleashed. And here are your hosts, Craig Bloemker and Eric Beckett. Welcome back to another episode of Field Trials Unleashed. And if you're a first-time listener, please subscribe and check us out on Twitter at Trials Unleashed. How's it going today, Craig? Eric, it has happened. This is a little unorthodox for us to do this, but we're going to record and release the same day. But uh, it has officially started raining. Yeah, and there's some snow mixed in there. So I think today, Craig, we want to talk about um, what what is that seed currently going through? The conditions that, you know, if you may have planted within the last 24 to 48 hours, what to maybe expect the outcomes of that? I mean, granted, with agriculture, a lot there's not very many things that are a 100 percent like this is the l- rule of the land but we're going to give you some maybe some scenarios to think through today you know what what to expect from going on here for how to manage this crop best i can tell you the seeds probably wishing it had a sweater on right now oh at very least so as you mentioned cold water inhibition um that's the process of rapid water intake and then as you mentioned you know the first 24 to 48 hours there's a reason that everybody was cautioned uh, about not planting 24 to 48 hours and and you know it bringing in the the water and then as it starts to chill and slow everything down it can cause cell rupture and you know but after that 48 hour period we go into a process called osmosis and it's a little slower yeah so it's not going to take in as much water so that's why that 24 to 48 hours is so critical uh for cold water inhibition yep i mean and in that first uh, 24 to 48 hours i mean the soil moisture that is taken up i mean and it i mean and the soils they can really they can feel dry to the touch but that's generally that's enough moisture to jump start you know seed to start start the process of of growing and essentially coming alive you know in the first 24 to 48 hours the seed may take on as much as 30 to 50 percent of its weight in water in that first 24 to 48 hours so that's why this time uh, period is so critical and uh, we, there's a lot of concerns right now for what's going on. Eric, after this cold spell, then what do we want to start looking for as we go out and start digging up some of these seeds that were planted in this time period? What is it we're looking for? So I'm going to be looking forward to see if, if it, there is that first true radical coming off the seed. I'm going to dig seed up and see if it's alive or if it's really started doing anything. I'm also going to take those kernels and um, kind of pinch them in between my fingers to see if they're mushy, if they're still firm to the touch that means that the seed's still viable and it's still going to do its thing but if it's if it's getting mushy and soft it that seed is dead it is it has done its thing and it's over with for unfortunately but and then the other thing i want to start doing is if you have recently planted within the last 24 to 48 hours is to start tracking your gdus because typically corn is going to emerge somewhere between 90 and 120, 150 GDUs, and then soybeans is going to emerge somewhere around 130 GDUs. So, and that that's um, you know you can either think of it as soil GDUs or also the traditional so or air temperature GDUs, but they're they're both going to be pretty close in a line. Good information. Uh, I think next we'd like to get Dr. Howard Brown on. He he is such a 
passionate force behind the you know the the ag industry and in our little community here and we're gonna get him on to talk about mineralization because along with these cold spells uh it becomes a lack of mineralization howard welcome to field trials unleashed podcast well hello how is how is craig doing today on this fine snowy afternoon well it's actually a refresher to sit down and uh uh, get another episode put together here, and we thought it'd be great to sit down and, and talk with the Dr. Howard Brown. And just, if you would, I, I think most of the listeners and anybody that's in Central Illinois probably knows who you are, but you can talk a little bit about yourself, what you're doing, and then thought it'd be great to talk about uh, mineralization because with the cold weather we're having, I suspect that's going to play a big part in how this crop looks like coming out of the ground. Well, sure, I'd be glad to do that, Craig. Uh- I am, my title is, with the line IFS is Manager of Agronomic Information and Nutrient Stewardship. And I've spent a little bit of time over the past decade or so working closely on how to improve uh, nutrient utilization, nutrient stewardship, and get the word out because I think that's so important that farmers do their best to be good stewards of the environment. And they're the last group of people that would want to spend money on an input only to let it get off the land and hurt the environment and the people that use the, the uh, resources along with them. So uh, I'm working hard uh, with, with farmers and with the urban public, frankly, and, uh, to, to try to get that stewardship message across. And I do it because it allows me to focus on mom. Now, <laughs> focus on mom, what does that mean? Well, if you, when I think about mom, I think of loving, selfless, caring, nurturing, every, all the good things. Loved my mom. And that's what I want people to think about agriculture. And when we use the word mom, it's an acronym that stands for minimizing environmental impact by optimizing harvest shield, farm profitability, and maximizing input utilization. If we use it, we won't lose it. So that's a long answer to your question, but I think it's very important for farmers to understand that when Align IFS, when I specifically come to the, the table with the program, it has to include mom, or it really isn't a solution that's lasting. We like to think about mom too, Howard. So. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a lot of moms out there, and boy, I've, I, I talk about mom all the time, but I'm yet to receive an apple or cherry pie other than my wife, so I'm thankful for that. But. Well, let's circle back around and talk about the mineralization piece. And then I would like to talk about New Tracker. And if you would be so kind to talk about New Tracker, what that is and how that would assist us in this whole mineralization well, piece. You bet. And uh, when we talk about mineralization, I think mineralization should be on the front page right now because we're coming out of a winter. We've really never warmed up. Uh, the soils are cold. We're probably not getting a, a fast transformation of ammonium to nitrate, which is not bad. That's good. But also, we're not getting a very rapid transformation from that organic form of uh, nutrients, such as nitrogen, to the inorganic form. And that's important specifically for our soybeans. Because soybeans, although they are legumes, they don't fix nitrogen until about two or three weeks after emergence. So they rely on residual soil nitrogen between emergence and that period of time. And I think what we're going to see this year, uh, probably see a nitrogen response, a nice nitrogen response. And uh, I'm not quite sure if it'll be harvest yield, but I'd sure like farmers to give it a try and and test it out. Sounds like an on-farm discovery project to me, Howard. (laughs) Well, yeah. And 
and you, I don't want to let New Tracker Plus slip through the cracks because you asked me to mention about New Tracker Plus, and you do not grant me enough time, Craig, to talk about that. But I'm going to give it a shot. And basically, New Tracker Plus is a program that evolved, oh gosh, back in 2009 when a farmer thought he lost all of his nitrogen and we kind of knew he didn't. But we found a way to show him where it was and how much was there. And we thought at the time that, hey, if we can do this at a point in time, why don't we do this over time? And hence was born a program called InWatch. InWatch eventually turned into InTracker when I, I used to work with Growmark. I left them with the InWatch name. And then I created a new name when I came to Align IFS called InTracker. Kind of revised the program made it more uh, user-friendly, improved the report. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. You know, if we're tracking nitrogen, we're taking these samples, why not run other nutrients? So we've started running sulfur, boron, and zinc, and all the other nutrients, figuring base saturation. And really what this has done is kind of opened my eyes from the standpoint it's just not about nitrogen. You know, I know a lot about Justice von Liebig and the laws of minimum and how many essential nutrients we can argue about, but... I really never had a full understanding of how we could track this. So New Tracker Plus actually characterizes a place in the field in the upper one and two feet. And I, I tell farmers the way I, I look at it, I, t I talk about it being uh, watching the behavior of nutrients in the profile. And I do this over time. So between April, May, and June, I pull the sample three times. And I know where the nitrogen's going, how much is there, how much we lose in that upper two feet. I can't tell you where it goes. And I also do that with sulfur, boron, and zinc. And sulfur and boron are mobile, so what happens to them? And also zinc, although zinc's a, a, a cation, it doesn't really move. It's important to watch that because what I've learned over the past three years, we need to revise our recommendations to include other nutrients. Now, some people will say, well, Howard, it's about time you woke up. Well, come on now. Give me a break. I have to have evidence, and I have it now, between tissue and soil. And I think we've done this in such a unique way. We're the only ones that have this kind of evidence that tells us where to go. Very good, Howard. Now, um, kind of shifting gears a little bit, um, Craig and myself and you, Howard, we've all we've got quite a few projects going this spring and everything. I would like to kind of pin you to the wall and kind of get your take on it, but what is one thing that you are most excited about that we are working on this spring with, with growers? Well, Eric, you know, there's more than one thing I'm excited about. Oh, I know. <laughs> but, okay, but I will, I will refrain from taking another 10 minutes. And uh, probably the one thing that stands out for farmers to consider would be the on-farm discovery this spring because of the environment that we're within and because of the cost of inputs. I think it's so important for farmers to really think twice about adopting a new product or a practice without having some level of confidence that it works. Uh, trust me is not the phrase that I think can get us into the future. We've got to test. Well, we got the technology. Eric, you're great. You've got the equipment. You can put a stamp of any kind of a treatment that a farmer really wants within reason out in his field. And we can use Climate Field View Plus to track it. The only effort the farmer has to make is calling his Align IFS crop specialist and talking about what test, what test he wants to run. I can't believe how simple it is. And I think, you know, it's, it's like changing the culture of a company. 
it's so difficult to get people to look at what they do differently. Well, I'll tell you what's harder than changing the culture of a company, changing the culture of a farmer, because they're so used to doing things the way they are that it's tough to consider what changes to make. We're here to help them make that change. Eric, you, Craig, last year, Craig, you had over 90 on-farm discovery trials. I'm preaching to the choir here. Eric, you put them out. Craig, you've already had them. So all I'm doing is kind of helping you out, get to where you want to go, and coming up with some new projects. But on-farm discovery is going to be part of the future. Yeah, definitely. And and just like you mentioned before, it's farmer fields, farmer data, and farmer questions. So it doesn't get any more local than that. No, and we, you know, farmers are always looking for information, but I... I was associated with the University of Illinois for 17 years as an adjunct assistant professor. I really enjoyed my relationship. But, you know, at the South Farm, we do research every year on the South Farm. And I wasn't directly involved in those projects, uh, most of them. But they would go back, and the next year they'd have another research trial. They may shift it to another part of that farm, but they would still be on the farm. Well, what is to say that the artifacts of the previous experiment is not affecting the outcome of the new experiment? And it's these kind of concerns that I have is why on-farm discovery is so refreshing. There's so many well-intended people. You know, there's, there's research farms, uh, there's the answer plots, there's all kinds of things that companies try to do to help find this information. But we have to be very careful that we're not confounding the results. We're not coming up with the wrong answer because of a previous effect of a treatment that we didn't allow for. So that's why I think on-farm discovery is so important. And then, Eric, we got questions that uh, nobody's going to address. Definitely, Howard. And I, I can't agree more about the statements you just made. I was... I've recently kind of been reflecting about, you know, our approach with the on-farm discovery and, you know, just thinking of that some of my prior time spent in research that how many times did we wait for the picture perfect day to go out and apply something? And we might have done it with, you know, equipment that a farmer wouldn't have available to them to, to make the best of those applications. So we, you know, here at Line F, we are really striving to make applications in real real world scenarios so that we, we can give real world data of, you know, to give the best projected outcome of how a product is really going to perform on large scale basis and not a, uh, a 20 by 10 foot area out in the field. Oh, you bet. And, and a farmer can put a 20 by 10 foot area out, Eric, if he just wants a qualitative evaluation, but couple that with trials that you place that are replicated or better yet, uh, repeated strips in a field. I mean, we can come up with some designs and we can vet them through the university. We still have a lot of great researchers that would help guide us, uh, keep us on the right track if we need that help. But uh, we need to, to do the experiments in a farmer's field. A, a progressive farmer today should have acres set aside every year for experimentation. And I know most of them do. The ones that don't, that are listening, all they have to do is pick up the phone and call Line IFS. And Eric, you, myself, Craig, the other crop specialists, We'll help them put a program together. And I can tell you right now, they won't be disappointed. So, Howard, looking forward, on-farm discovery opportunities, again, with the environment that we're currently in, crops getting ready to come out of the ground after we get through this cold spell, what kind of on-farm discovery trials would you set up or propose 
uh, a grower take a look at if they want to see, if nothing else, a physiological response? Well, I think, I think right now the one that, that uh, is, is right on the front of mind for me would be soybeans. Uh, because of the lack of an environment for mineralization, residual nitrogen to help them get jump-started, I would, I would challenge uh, the producers out there to try 100 pounds of ammonium sulfate per acre in some strips to check crop response. Now, with that, I would actually add another, uh, uh, I should say, another ingredient to that, and I would sprinkle iron in there. When I say sprinkle, I'm specifically thinking of a product called Wolf Tracks. Wolf Tracks iron is pulverized powder. Mix it with the ammonium sulfate the correct way. Very few people have the capacity to put it on, but the ones that do, mix it in and put on uh, the iron-laced ammonium sulfate, 100 pounds, and look for a response. I'm pretty confident we'll turn those beans green. It's just I don't know if there'll be a yield component. And I think, Eric, uh, I've invited some people to call you. I'm sorry in advance, but I've invited them to call you. Oh, I've come and, to get used to it. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. That's all right. It's that's part of the territory. Just, okay, but you can put these stamps out in a relatively quick and efficient way, load them into the uh, climate so the farmer can watch Field View Plus and watch the color change along with everybody else. And, again, a seamless way for a farmer to test new projects or new products on farm discovery. I'm surprised it isn't more ad adopted to date, but I think you're, we're seeing more and more farmers look at this way of testing new products for the future. So Howard, we've talked about mineralization, we've talked about new tracker, we've talked about on-farm discovery opportunities and maybe what to look for here in the next couple of weeks. Anything else that you wanna to bring to light while we've got you? Well, you betcha. You were going to have to buy dinner here because uh, we, we haven't talked about some of the big ones that, that I didn't mention. That it, When Eric asked me about one thing, I can't think of one thing. I think of a lot. And probably the one I'm, I'm also excited about is transitioning farmers from applying nutrients based off of soil tests and expected yield to harvest removal. You know, and I, I've uh, been around for a while. And soil testing uh, is, is, uh, has been a good tool, but I believe in that, that phrase that what got us to where we're at will not get us to where we, go, we need to go. And the soil testing, I think, is good to, to determine trend up, trend down. Do we have enough nutrients? Are we taking it out of the profile? But that's pretty much it. In the future, I love to see farmers transition to using their yield maps and determining their, their uh, nutrient application specifically based off of removal. It makes so much sense. And as we do that, let's look at soil tests. Seven inches. Why is it seven inches? Acre furrow slice. Where do we get that? 1950 to 1970. When was it calibrated? 1950 to 1970. Has anything changed since then? I don't need to answer that question because all your <laughs> listeners already answered it. And there's nothing wrong with it. It was a great tool that was developed to, to do for a purpose, and it served that purpose. But it can't serve that purpose here forward. So I want to see farmers transition away. I want to see farmers move away from characterizing the upper seven inches. The roots go much deeper than that. Beginning of uh, the, the, the uh, most recent uh, century in the 2000s, we, with the rootworm trait, we change the characteristic growth of the root. They go deeper, 
and they explore more of the profile, giving us nitrogen utilization and drought tolerance. We didn't even have to pay for that other than the rootworm trait. So with that said, let's characterize the upper 12 inches. And I'll go a step further. They're in the breadbasket of the world, in the Champaign County area, all the way down to Edgar Douglas. I have to throw Clark in because we, we serve Clark, too, and Vermillion. And in those areas, uh, we need to go two feet. Drummer Flanagan's soils. Let's characterize the upper two feet. Let's see what's there for the upper profile. And I think it would surprise farmers where they find the nutrients and where they don't. And I've been doing this for three years. And I have yet not to be excited each growing season, even though I have to take my Advil PM. Well, Howard, uh, we do appreciate your time and your infinite wisdom. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again here soon. Well, I really appreciate you thinking of me, and I'm always glad to participate. I hope, I hope your listeners enjoy it and, and get a little bit out of it. I'm sure they will. I have no doubts. Hey, thank you, too, for doing a good job. I'm very proud of both of you. Look forward to listening to this. Thank you, Howard. Thank you. Isn't he awesome? He just yeah. uh, he, he just has such a way of just bringing it home to where everybody feels like they can take something away from his message. Well, anytime you're in the same room where there's just an energy, everybody's just you know yep. stoked to hear him. So I just really personally, I just really strive to uh, to reach you know just a half of what his level is one day. Yeah, I was gonna say a quarter even for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Let's finish this, uh, this episode off. It's uh, a little off topic, but still relevant to ag, and especially... Uh, it's in the news right now. It's in the news right now. So let's talk about carbon credits, and I'm not going to go in depth. We are going to... Uh, we're going to attach an article, Eric, that you had found, and we'll put that on our Twitter feed so you can review it. But uh, Corteva came out with their answer to the, the carbon program, and... Uh, I think we need to talk and establish what carbon credits for, you know, what the program is intended for. And basically it's just these large corporations, uh, for lack of a better term, Eric, it's just a way to cover up what they're omitting as far as pollution and, and carbon. So growers come in, they work with these programs and because of their good stewardship and good practices, they get uh, carbon credits and then these corporations will buy those carbon credits to essentially clean their slate. Yeah, definitely. So, so to speak, farmers are doing their dirty work. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, and and it's a way for you know farmers to market what essentially you know their good stewardship practice. They're able to market and finally you know get paid more than just some government program that you know kind of made been been there in the past. You know, we could kind of think of you know, some of these conservation reserve programs that have been in place in the previous, that was kind of around the same space. I mean, it's occupying the same space, but now it's more kind of on a national commercial type of level that where, you know, a lot of people can get behind it and feel good about what's going on too. Yeah. And payment, payment ranges. So I, I was talking about the core to everyone. That's just the latest one. Like Eric mentioned there, Bay already had one out there. Uh, I think Indigo Ag has one. And so really just need to be cognizant of, uh, you know, maybe some questions to ask is what am I getting paid and what kind of effort and, and practices do I have to implement? Because most, if not all, are going to require you to do strip till or no till uh, at a minimum. Uh, a lot of them want you to incorporate cover crops. And so just know that, you know, there's there's cost associated with those, especially when you talk about cover crop. I mean, I was blown away by, you know, how much money went into cover crops. And so these programs, or if you were already wanting to tippy-toe into these practices, great opportunity 
to get some recognition and get paid for those. And that might help cut down on, on the cost, but just know there are some commitments, you know, Corteva's was uh, two, uh one to two years, I think. Yeah. And then I think some of the ones maybe like Bayer Indigo are quite a few, are quite a bit more years than Seven that. To maybe, 10. Yeah. Maybe yeah. up to 10 year commitment. I mean, and I think probably the best thing is if, um, you know, you are interested in doing this, that there are, you know, this isn't just a one-stop shop or a one-size-fits-all plan. There are these different companies have got some different avenues about going away. Whether they grandfather you already in for maybe the practice you you're doing, or for that guy that's just looking just to start changing some of these practices, um, this may be a way for that guy to help offset some of his costs to move to some of these management practices by you know essentially selling his good practices to a large corporation such as Walmart. And so then, you know, as we're looking at, you know, if a grower is looking at some of those programs, I would strongly urge them not to take the first program or the first idea that is presented to them. I would really do your due diligence, do your homework, and look and see what all of the different plans are out there available to you to see which one best fits your operation. Now, I'm going to be right here, and I'm going to be kind of bold and preface this, that I don't believe a carbon credit program is going to work on every acre. There are, I firmly believe that there are certain acres that still need to be tilled just because of given, you know, if you're in a corn on corn situation, uh, depending on your soil type, some of those different factors, you still may need to have some tillage. And so this carbon credit may probably won't work for you. But on the flip side, this can be a very good way to, you know, make your operation more environmentally and sustainably sound in the future and to keep that farming operation viable for many generations to come you've been listening to field trials unleashed agronomic trials products practices what makes sense for you and your farm's profitability thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed the show and we hope you've gotten some useful and practical information make sure to like rate and review and we'll be back soon but in the meantime follow craig and eric on twitter at trials unleashed from there you can get agronomic updates and submit questions for future shows see you next time